Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org forward slash resources. And I don't know what it is. So I turn to the Lord and I ask him, what is that? What is that above the head of the people? He said it's a cloud, but it's not my cloud. It's the cloud from the enemy. It is the cloud of deception. Trying to come in and cloud the minds of the people. This cloud was entering from behind. So to give you a visual of what I'm seeing, we're facing out. And we can see the cloud far off in the distance. And the people, they're facing the throne. So they can't see it coming up from behind. This cloud was entering from behind the people. And because of my position on the mercy seat, my view slash perspective allowed me to see it far off in the distance long before it even reached the bride. Jesus explained, this cloud enters when the bride is weary. At, the moment, at that moment, even seated next to him, I still wasn't sure what we should do. In a panic, I turned to Jesus and I asked him, what do we do? <laughs> it's coming. Like, let's do something. We got to fix this. <laughs> I look and I see glimpses of rainbows, almost like a filter. I then knew and I had understanding. It was like our spirits were connect, um, communicating. I then knew and had understanding, had revelation that it is the promises of God that break the spirit of deception. Come on, man. That's, that's, that's a good one. That's a good word. It is. Can you say that again? It is the promises of God that break the spirit of deception. Jesus said to me, it is my promises that remind the people of my word and what I promise. This is what breaks the spirit of deception over them. And it is also what will strengthen them. It gives you strength when you are weary. The promises of God becomes their weapon against the cloud of deception. It is impossible to know my promises and my word and not know me. We cannot know the Father. We cannot know his promises and not know the Father. Because if we know who he is and we know his promises, we know his character. We know his nature. We know that no matter what, he is good. He is good. His nature is good. His character is good. He is an everlasting father. His love never ends. His mercy endures Is that what that feels like? That feels good. <sighs> Thank you, Jesus. He said, more, Lord, more, <laughs> more, Jesus, more. You cannot know me and my care. You cannot know the promises of God and not understand me and my nature and my character. It almost felt like a divine strategy on how to lead the people. See, this was a position of leadership that he was, that he was beckoning to me, like, this is, this is how you lead the bride. This is how you become a leader within the body of Christ. He then reminded me that he makes intercession for us. 
So as he sits and rules and reigns, he is also interceding like a watchman, like a watchman on the wall. He is able to see the cloud of the enemy in the distance long before it even reaches the people. So he can make intercession. He then began to pray in the spirit. Wow. Again. Come on. Like, whew, again, I knew this was divine strategy. Divine strategy on how to dispel the deception over the people. Was to pray in the spirit. So I began to pray in the spirit with him and intercede. Jesus and I then go into a time of intercession over the people. And what was so beautiful about this is that I was partnering with his current intercession. I wasn't sitting there praying what I thought would be good to pray. He was already praying. I got to partner with what he was interceding. Because what? He says we're two or more are gathered in his name, right? It shall be done. So how much better is when we unify ourselves, we unify our hearts, and we unify our spirit with the spirit of God, with the spirit of intercession. Jesus is the spirit of man intercession. He is the manifest presence of intercession. He is the great intercessor. So we get to partner with him. We don't have to come in and go, oh gosh, what should I pray today? What sounds good? <laughs> Hmm, you know, like, because sometimes you feel that pressure, right? Especially when you're the one praying out loud and everybody's listening to you. But we get to partner with what he's praying. Okay, I forgot my spot. Yes. So we have the power to partner with the intercession of Christ. And he then turns and looks at me and says, I've called you and Michael to be a leader of people. And in order to lead a people well, you have to come and sit next to me. And you have to see what I see. And you have to stay seated on the mercy seat. Because if you get down off the mercy seat, you too and can and will become subject to the enemy. The mercy seat is the key. The mercy seat is the key to see. And as we see, we can partner with intercession. And intercession then becomes the tool that brings protection for the bride of Christ, for the people. Because as a shepherd, your, your number one goal and your number one heart's desire is to protect the bride. You want them to flourish. You want them to grow well in, the, in Christ. You want them to become everything that God has destined and called them to be. So intercession becomes, the mercy seat's the key. Intercession is the tool of protection. It's a good word. And one more thing about intercession. He then begins to tell me how powerful the spirit of intercession is. He's, he's like giving me a download from the way heaven's perspective is. Because sometimes it's easy to see the platform. We see people with microphones and us leading worship. And we're like, oh, wow. Man, look how powerful Look at the impact they're having for the kingdom of heaven and earth. Let me just tell you, this is not the most powerful, and this is not the most impactful for the kingdom of the heavens. See those two women right there? That's the backbone. 
That is the backbone. So he then begins to tell me how powerful the spirit of intercession is. He says the spirit of intercession is what allows for the spirit of revelation. See, Miss Addie and Miss Phyllis, when they get together and they start praying for Pastor Mike and praying for Pastor Tom, guess what? It opens the heavens right over them. And it allows for the angels to ascend and descend over their life so that the word of God can come forth and it becomes an impact for all of you. That's the backbone. So the spirit of intercession allows for the spirit of revelation. It allows for the spirit of wisdom. It allows for the spirit of love. It allows for us to dwell together in unity through love. It creates an avenue for the gift of teaching, for the gift of compassion. And all the other facets of ministry are all here. What you see in the natural is because of what's been done in the supernatural. (laughs) It's just a... It's a product of what's been sown in the private. And he was very clear to mention to me the spirit of clarity. And I think that was too connected to that spirit of deception. Like if you really feel like, gosh, this is foggy. Like, you know, sometimes you're trying to hear the word of the Lord and you're like, I don't know what he wants me to do. The spirit of clarity too comes from that spirit of intercession. And it it clears the mind of Christ and allows for the mind of Christ to rest on the bride. But the big emphasis was that intercession is the predecessor to breakthrough and the gifts and knowledge and protection for the people. It is the backbone for the church and for the bride. That's good. Jesus. Amen. Isn't that good word? So I feel like, too, as we, uh, we were in the prayer room together this week, we were just praying and worshiping the Lord and interceding for today. And that's what we felt. The Lord, Lord brought this vision back like today. Mm-hmm. And then, then he began to add to it and just really, mm-hmm. really contextualize it for us. So I want to just kind of give us a biblical context, too, of what this vision is saying to all of us today. Amen? Yeah. So turn your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter, chapter 1 and uh, verse, verse 17. We'll get there in a second. Ephesians 1, 17 where the Apostle Paul is writing to the letter of Ephesus, because we see the same kind of uh, momentum in this letter that Amber was sharing in this, this vision. We, we realize when you get a vision like that, it's not just so much. It touches us, but it's for a larger purpose. So as we prayed, I felt like, and I heard the vision, man, the Lord gave me four specific words, literally prophetic words for all of us here this morning. And I wanted to just share briefly on these words as it connects to this vision. The first word I heard as I was praying, Lord, what are you saying to Global River? What are you saying to the community uh, of believers in Wilmington? The Lord said, number one, come up higher. He's calling us together to come up higher. We are living in a moment right now where there is no other choice. We have to come up higher to the Lord. When Amber's vision started, it started with an invitation Mm -hmm. to prayer and worship. She approached the keyboard, right? It was an invitation to go up higher in the Lord so she could receive that encounter. So I just want to talk a minute about about going up higher and how do we actually do that. Remember what she said? She was led. This wasn't like, you know, thought of. It was just she was led by the Spirit this way, but there's a revelation in it. She asked specifically for what? The Spirit of wisdom 
in Revelation. So in Ephesians 1, 16, 17, Paul's writing to the Ephesus church who endured probably one of the greatest revival outbreaks in the book of Acts. This is that church that was burning pagan witchcraft books when, when things were breaking loose. So these people, they've seen and know the power of God. But listen to what Paul says. I keep asking that God, that the God of Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you, listen, he's asking the Father. He's not even asking Jesus. He's asking the Father that he may give you the spirit. Greek word for spirit is pneuma, breath, wind, right? Give you the breath, the wind of wisdom in revelation. But here's the key. So that you can build a ministry? So that you can gather people around you? So that we can just whatever? No. So that we can know Him better. And it's important that we keep that focus when we approach the Lord. Or else we won't go higher. We'll stay right here. So the first step in going higher to the Lord is calling on the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we may know the knowledge of the Holy One. That we may understand the knowledge of who He is. How the depths of His love capture us. The unending, expressible grace and mercies that He gives us. There's so many depths and dimension to who God is. It would take us a lifetime to try to even experience it. And we have to go to that place, y'all. We have to come up higher. So I want to encourage you. How do you come up higher? Begin to ask the Lord for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to flood your house. Begin to invite it into your home. Mm-hmm. Begin to invite it into your families and children. I'm telling you. When you read the, come read on. the word. <laughs> it, 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 just, it just gets us. Yeah. It, it, it gets us on in there. Mm-hmm. So wisdom and revelation is rooted in that desire. Now remember, her progression in the vision went from Jesus' feet. Right? So he's like, all right, she's like, Lord, I'm going to sit at your feet. That's what we always sing and even talk about. And he was like, okay, you can do that, and that's fine. But I want you to come up higher. And I want you to sit on my seat. I want you to sit on my seat. Right? That's that seat of mercy. The Ark of the Covenant was specifically built to house the presence of God. The cherubim angels guarded that thing. They were facing each other in the Holy of Holies. That was where the presence of the Lord dwelt. But it said that there was an atonement cover that sat on the top of the Ark of the Covenant. That atonement cover in Hebrew is literally translated as the mercy seat. Psalm said that righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. But we often forget that it's tied together through mercy. Mercy covers his righteousness and mercy covers his judgments and justice. That's the only way that he can handle us. <laughs> but thank God for his mercy. So we can make an appeal to his mercy. And like he did Amber, he sits us up on that mercy seat. My Lord, because here's the reality. We are all engaged in battles and wars with people, are we not? <laughs> Some say Amen. So the way to fight that as our our believing community is we have a privilege to sit on that mercy seat. And when you take the eyes of mercy, you look beyond the faults and you look beyond the shortcomings. God gives you patience. God gives you endurance. He gives you peace to be able to weather the attack 
and bring reconciliation and peace to the situation. But we have to be in that seat, y'all. Can't do it in the natural realm. He's calling us to come up higher. Amen. Amen. It's good, baby. Second thing. We're going to come on. It's going to get really good. Take your seat. That's the second word I heard. For the church, for the house, for the people. Take your seat. Mm -hmm. It's time. Go ahead. No, I was just, I just really feel that it's a mandate on the house right now, especially, I mean, on the bride, of course, but really on the house of Global River. I've spent many hours up here at Burns and just really interceding on the behalf of our bride. And I've heard so clearly and I have heard so strongly that there is a mandate on this, a priestly mandate on this house to minister to the Father. It's, just, it's who we are. It's ingrained in our DNA. That is, I believe, that is one of the biggest identities of Global River Church. And everything else is just an overflow of that. Come on. Take your seat. That's what the Lord is saying to us. He wants you to take your seat. And it's not just for the pastors. No. Like, this is for you guys. You, everyone in this house right now has a seat. Yeah. But sometimes we're running around. Yeah. And, and we're running over here. Because we think maybe this church has it. Yeah. Or we don't like what this church is doing to us. Or we don't like the people in it. Definitely don't like the leadership in it. So I'm going to run over here. <laughs> because I heard over here, it's better. Over here, they got dynamic things going on. So I'm going to be plugged in right here. And so what happens is people are running and going and throwing and everything and whatever. And all of a sudden, they're just filled with offense and filled with bitterness. Something they ain't even going to church anymore. Mm-hmm. Why is, what's happening? They've not taken their seat. Where they belong. Everyone in this house belongs somewhere. You belong somewhere. You have a seat etched out for you. And the most important thing you can do is hear the word of God to you personally, knowing demographically where has God called you to be. What church has he called you to connect with? If you know that in here, then you can weather any storm. You can endure any attack. My God, you can take the knives out without getting offended and lay it all down. Because you know this is where God has you. Even if you don't agree, you know this is where God has you. There's a purpose. Mm. You're taking your seat. And so right now, many people are running here and there, going to the next trend in church, in culture, in society. And we miss that point. Because when you come to this place and you know where God has called you and you're blooming, you planted there, there is revelation, there is mercy and knowledge and love. Woo, man, everything comes over your life. But I'm just telling y'all the truth. Can I tell you the truth? You're going to have whispers by people in your corner or people around you say, why are you going there? What's wrong with that place? Don't you know what they do over there? Don't you know that pastor? Oh, my God, that's that church. That's that church that did this, this, and this. Oh, man, that's that pastor that did this, this, and that over there. You hear what happened 15 years ago over there? You know. And if you're not rooted and know what God has called you to do, you're going to be everywhere. But the Lord said, I don't want you to be like a wave tossed in the ocean, going back and forth, doubting like a carnal believer. But I want you to be rooted and grounded in the knowledge of who I am, seated on the seat of mercy, burning with love, fulfilling the mandate on your life. Amen. Amen. The Lord said it. Take your seat. So that's I heard it so clearly. Take your seat. Now, look, come on now. Ephesians 2, 6. Let me back up. Ephesians 1. 
Oh, it's 21. I want to show you this thing in, 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 in Ephesians. Show it to us, baby. The power. Let me skip back up. I don't even know what. Verse 19. He goes on to talk about the Lord, right? Knowing the wisdom. He says, in his incomparably great power for us who believe. Now, that power, that power is the working of his strength. Which he exerted in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead. And he seated his son, Christ Jesus, at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above every ruler and authority and power and dominion and every title that can be given. Not only in the present age, but the age to come. And God placed all things. Someone say all things. things. Under his feet. And appointed him the head of the church. For which his body, the fullness, of, fulfills in every way. Do you see the picture? He said that power. In other words, the father said, because my son laid down his life, he took his seat on earth, endured all the backbiting, the betrayal, the cross. Because he took his seat, I'm going to give him the power of my mercy that will resurrect him from the tomb, sit him up here in heavenly places. It's the spirit of mercy from the Father that resurrects Christ Jesus and put him where he rightfully belongs. How much more, you and I? When the Father's mercy collides and explodes in our hearts, there is a resurrection that happens. There is an awakening inside of us. We are awakened to love. And all of a sudden, we don't find ourselves here fighting and doing all this, but we go to our rightful place and we take a seat in the heavenly realms, which is the mercy of the living God. Jesus. Seated with mercy. It's time to take our seat, guys. It's our mandate. We're living in the days that are so wild and evil. If you're not burning with mercy, whoo, man, if you're not burning with that mercy, you'll be waylaid. But there's such a hope in this thing, man. This is, oh, it burned, burns in me. So take your seat. That's the mercy seat. That's the mercy seat. I got just one last thing. I hear the Lord. Let me tell you about the Ark of the Covenant. We'll get in this this week, Wednesday. I never knew this about the, I did a little bit, but it really came clear. You know, when the high priest would go in there once a year, right? He went in there once a year in the Holy Holies where the ark was. Took blood from the sacrifice and he sprinkled it. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven times. The priest would sprinkle the blood from the sacrifice seven times once a year. From the beginning, come on, in the tabernacle. From the beginning... When they started in Exodus to the time of the temple in Solomon days, that's over 485 years. That means that high priest went to the ark 485 times and shed blood on it, poured blood on it, times seven. The ark was made of gold, which is the purity and essence of holiness and clarity of who he is. But I want you to know something. It was saturated in the blood the ark wasn't I believe gold by that time it was red 
with the blood of the sacrifices that the priests had to put in. What does that blood represent to you and I? It represents forgiveness. When you plead the blood, you are actively, proactively shedding and releasing forgiveness over the people that do you wrong. His throne is saturated with mercy and forgiveness. That's how we enter in. Oh, my Lord. Jesus. How can you not be thankful? Oh, my Lord. How can you not have a heart of gratitude when you understand the mercy of the Lord? Holy, perfect is he. Holiness, the perfection of, of the Lord, of God. And yet he wanted to be with us. Come Imperfect on. and messy. Come on. Third word we heard. God wants to remind us. Remember the promise. Remember the promises that he has made you. You have, we have to do this. We have to proactively do that by calling to remembrance what he's done for us in the past, what he's promised us for the future, and declaring the living word of the Lord in our prayer and quiet time. We have to remember the promises. In her vision, there was a specific word. What did it do? It broke the spirit of deception. I should speak on this deception for a little bit. How many know the enemy, the Bible says, is the father of lies? Deception is his nature. It sounds so good. And it's not, this deception isn't like, oh, this open, obvious sin. No, 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 no. Deception works like that little bit of leaven that just gets in there. There's a little bit of truth to every lie. (laughs) In in the context of the offense thing and all that, how that Mm -hmm. works. It's not so much the offense. We know that, okay, we're in open sin then. But it's that little disagreement or that little, that little thing that someone did. It just didn't sit well with me. And that little thing, if we let it sit there long enough, will begin to grow into offense. And that's how deception works. That, that deception will roll right in there. And then all of a sudden, we can't receive from them. We can't be around them. And God just begins to do all this. It's just stuff starts, starts happening. Because that cloud of deception rolls in. Mm-hmm. And here's the real enemy. Let me tell you just real quick to the grid of it. Deception works to get you and I to fight one another. It works for us to take our swords and stab one another and hate one another and backbite one another and tear each other down because we don't like the way we do something. And we don't even know it because you could tell somebody they're being tempted and they know that, but you can't tell nobody they're deceived because they don't think they're deceived. That's the whole point of deception. But behind the scenes, that's how deception works. It's always to turn us against one another. It's to turn the body and the brothers against one another. But when we focus on the promises of God and we take hold of that promise and we see through that lens and we begin to pray and intercede the promises of heaven of the Lord to us, then we move beyond that. And that deception begins to break. And then we have eyes of clarity that sees beyond. We understand this principle that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and powers and principalities. We understand that our weapons are not carnal, but they are spiritual for the pulling down of strongholds we understand 2 Corinthians 2 that we are not ignorant of Satan's devices we see it we see the deception working and God 
uses that kind of partnership to protect it from infiltrating the people. So the Lord said, you got to remember the promises. This, what is this translated in another way? It's how you make history with God. We have to make history with God. How do we make history with God? Spending time with him, letting him lead our life, the encounters, the supernatural things that happen. This is how we build history with God. And it's that history that prevents us from falling into the deception. Because like I always say, if you're deceived, you can't receive. You just can't. And you sure can't tell nobody they're deceived. That'll be a whole other level of stuff. That's why you got to handle that thing in the prayer room. Sure. Okay, we're getting there, wrapping up. Real quick example, 2 Samuel 2, two or 12, 2 right? Samuel chapter 12. Keep me in here, baby. I'm, I'm trying. Reel me in. Reel me in. Just an example of this, y'all. Thank you. I, I sweat so much. It's like, whew, Jesus. It's cleansing, baby. It's cleansing. It's cleansing. I'm, getting, I'm getting purified, getting purified right purified. here. Purified. <laughs> purified. <laughs> Holy Spirit. You want to no, read it? you read it. Okay, 2 Samuel chapter 12, 1. Story of Nathan and David. How many know that David messed up? He had an affair, got called up, had an affair, had the husband killed. What a story that makes. Has the husband killed and then takes Bathsheba, right, as his wife. He bypasses all that. It goes, let me back up. You know, David got lazy. I'm going to say it. There's a verse in the Bible. It says when kings went out to war, David stayed home. He stayed home. When he stayed home, he saw Bathsheba through the window. And then that's how all that started happening. So there's a word in there about we have to stay spiritually active. All right. 2 Samuel 12. So he's not really understanding that he's messed up sin that much. So what does God do? He sends his Nathan, the prophet, his spiritual counselor, to bring some correction. And I'm just going to read a few verses. Chapter 12, verse 1, it said, Then, Lord said Nathan, then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and when he came to him, he said, Hey, there were two men in a certain town. One was rich, the other poor. He goes on, I won't elaborate too much, but he goes on to tell this story about there was a rich man who had everything and a poor man who had only one little lamb. And, and the rich man got in a bind, and instead of sacrificing what he had out of his wealth, he took the little man, the poor man's one sheep, and he killed it and offered it. And he said, David, what do you think about that? And it said that David burned with anger. Let's pick back up in verse 5. David burned with anger against the man, he said to Nathan. As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay that lamb four times over because he had done such a thing and had no pity or no mercy. And then Nathan said to David, you are that man. You are that man, David. You are that man. Here's where the promises come in. You see, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul, gave you your master's house to you and the master's wives in your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what was evil in your eyes when you struck down Uriah the Hittite with your sword and took his wife to be your own? Skip down to verse 13. And then David said to Nathan, I have sinned 
against the Lord. You know, Nathan put his whole career on the line. When you approach a king to correct him, if you ain't right and something good doesn't happen, you're going to die. So Nathan is putting his life on the line, his career on the line. He's putting everything on the line because he is committed to his king, but he has a higher commitment to his God. And when he sees the evil and the sin going on, even in his submission to the king, he has a responsibility to deliver a message to David. But he doesn't attack him, does he? He, God gives him a strategy of this parable and this story that brings conviction to David's heart and not anger against Nathan. What is the point? It is a picture, perfect, clear picture of how God's mercy deals with us even when we get off track. Because here's the deal. It's his kindness that leads men to repentance. Yes. It's his kindness that leads men to repentance. It was the Father's mercy, God's kindness to David that led him to repentance. And what did Nathan do? He took the promises of God over David's own life, connected that to the word of correction that brought conviction to the king's heart that released transformation. It begins with mercy. It begins with kindness. That's the number one assault right now in us as a body of Christ is the enemy wants us to not be kind to one another. He wants us to fight one another. He wants us to hurt one another with our words, with our actions. Mm -hmm. But when we stay in this place of continually showing mercy and kindness, my God, the Lord brings correction. He brings victory in the house. So this is for those of you today who are going through confrontations. Remember that. Remember the promises. Start calling them in. Last thing, and we'll wrap this up. The fourth last thing, pray like Jesus prayed. I heard the Lord say, I want you to tell the people to pray like I pray. I want them to pray like I pray. So the question is, how do we pray like Jesus prays? Go to Hebrews chapter 7. Kyle was sharing up here this morning in worship. This is unbelievable. We hadn't talked or spoken, but this is the Lord highlighting this very, very clearly. So good. We walked in the prayer room this morning praying that verse, and that's the Lord put that on their heart for worship. So he's speaking. We don't want to miss that. So in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 24, it says this. But because Jesus lives forever, this verse really works if you really visualize it. So I want you to really visualize this. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent, highlight that word, permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely, man, not impartial, not just halfway, but Salvation, healing, and deliverance completely to those, highlight the word those, who come. This isn't for everybody, but only those who come higher. Those who come up higher, this is available. But if we don't come to him, then we don't have access to it. So those who come up are able to save completely 
who come to God through him, here's the deal, because he always lives to intercede for them. So here's a picture of Jesus after the resurrection, 40 days, and then the ascension. He's on the throne in heaven. He takes his rightful place. But what happened? He's not inactive, is he? According to this passage, he is doing one thing perpetually. He is interceding on our behalf. He is interceding. He is making prayer. Like Amber was saying, this is Jesus praying in the spirit. He is interceding all the time. The challenge is, how do you and I step into that intercession? Here's what we don't do. We don't pray soulish prayers. I'm with, real quick, what is soulish prayers? You ever been in a prayer meeting where just someone prays their agenda? Come on now. They just pray an agenda. And it just turns into this whole rant of whatever and it's like what is going on and and it's like a storyline from whatever and I think they're trying they're trying to be sincere and they're praying but that can get us off track and as long as that soulish praying is being prayed from that place then we can't enter in to this type of intercession that Jesus wants to enter in Here's the basic line. How do we get in that place? And we've all done it. I know I've done it before. We've all been guilty all in guilty. some degree. It's just the truth. But here's the deal. It's when we approach God in the place of prayer with a motive in our heart. Yeah. As long as we have a motive in our heart, then we cannot be available to carry the burden of Jesus for true intercession and praying for our families and the rest of the people. Yeah. So the challenge is when we approach prayer, not out of obligation or because we have to, but we approach it because there's no motive in our heart but Jesus. He is the only motive. He is the only reason we want to open our mouths and pray and spend time with him. This is what happens. When you tap into that place, I'm sorry, baby, I'm just going. When you tap into that place, then something begins to happen. You lose yourself in Jesus' intercession. What does it look like practically for you to lose yourself in Jesus' intercession? Here it is. You you lose yourself. (laughs) Simple. You lose lose yourself. (laughs) Have you ever been in that place of prayer? You may be around people, but you're like, God, how? And you just start going off for crazy. Because what's happening, it's not that you're getting emotional. You may be showing emotion. But you're moving into a place where you don't care what people are thinking of you or what they're saying about you. And you're losing yourself and you're becoming that clear channel for the lips of Jesus to hurl fiery prayers from the throne through your heart that changes the environment that you're around. But as long as we pray soulish prayers, that doesn't go anywhere. And it makes the meeting drag out. Come on, can I get an amen? It's like, come on, get this prayer meeting over. I want to get out of here. Because it's just flesh. But when we're praying in that place, oh man, there is nothing like it. We've hit some great times here on Sunday morning before service of this. It's just been beautiful to see that. And I'm telling you, it's, it's an awesome thing. Last part about this. Praying like Jesus prays. He lives to make intercession for you. Here's a final thought. Here's a final thought. If Jesus is truly living inside of us, do you believe that if you believe the Lord? Here's a question I've always had. So how does that work if we believe that Jesus is truly living inside of us, but yet when we're pushed, anger still flows from our heart? 
or offense still comes out. Or looking at what we should be looking at or connected to things that we shouldn't be connected to. Partnering with things we shouldn't be partnering with. How does that work if he truly is living on the throne of our hearts? It's a question I've always had. So as I was praying about that, this verse highlighted. You know, the Bible says it's not what goes into a man that makes him unclean. But it was comes out. For out of the flows every evil desire. And let me tell you something about our hearts. You can't know it. Right now, that's what the Bible says. The heart is deceitfully wicked above all things who can understand it. The reality that I think we need to grab hold of is we don't even know what's in our own hearts. You don't know right now what's in your own heart. That's what Jeremiah says. Doesn't know what's in my own heart. I don't know what's in there. That means I don't know what evil's capable of coming out of there. That's why Jesus has to be enthroned on there. So again, back to this thing. Dan Moeller, when he was here a couple years ago, made a powerful statement. He said, how is it when we screen oranges, I get orange juice. And if I squeeze apples, I get apple juice. But when, but when the believer is squeezed, something other than the fruit of the Spirit comes out. So how does this paradigm work? So I was, I was saying it, and the Lord just exploded in me. He said, Michael, I live to make intercession. So if he's inside of me, but in the Bible, he's in the kingdom, he's in the throne, but he's living to intercession. Wait a minute, the kingdom is inside of me. Then that means he's interceding inside of me. So how is these things happening? And he said, Michael, it's not so much that I'm not inside of you or that I'm not inside of my people, but it's that you still drift back to the old tabernacle paradigm. Wow. He said, this is a new priesthood, perpetual the order of Melchizedek to fulfill Levitical priesthood. And what happens is, in the old paradigm of the tabernacle, is the priest could only go in once a year. So the old paradigm thinking is, I'm going to let you in Jesus, but only on Sundays. I'm going to let you in Jesus, but only when it's going good. Only when I feel an anointing. Only when I feel the Lord, only when I feel the Spirit, I'm going to let you in. It's going good. But he lives to make intercession perpetually. And the veil was ripped so that he cannot be there just on Sunday and Monday or whatever, but that he can dwell in your heart 24-7, day and night, night and day, lifting intercession into your heart. So that comes back to he's already did his part. Are we going to give him the seat of mercy in our heart so that he can intercede day and night, night and day with the intercession of heaven? Jesus. That's, he's wanting to shift us now from the old tabernacle to the new tabernacle or the new spirit man, the kingdom, if you will. Yeah. Last part, the preacher's worst phrase. Read it in Wednesday night class, Hebrews. He said, once more, church, there's going to be a shaking. And I'm going to shake the heavens and I'm going to shake the earth so that what is shakable will get out of there. But everything that cannot be shaken will remain my kingdom. And when Jesus died on the cross, when he gave his life on the cross, two things happened. The earth shook through an earthquake and the veil was torn in half. That scripture in Hebrews is saying, I'm going to shake the earth. I'm going to shake the old way. I'm going to shake the old system, the old style, the old paradigm. I'm going to
going to shake the way you used to do church. I'm going to shake the way you used to live because I want you to get in tune to the new reality, the new kingdom, the new paradigm that I want to dwell in your heart all day, every day, and every night so that wherever you go, my God, you are a priest and you take the priesthood to Walmart, to school, to educate, whatever. Jesus. Stand with me. Come on. Stand with me. Come on. Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Call a worship team up here. Jesus, Lord. My God. Come on. Keep praying right there. Just just begin to just to lift a voice to the Lord right now. Just begin to thank the Lord. Just begin to thank him. Come on, church. Just begin to thank God. Thank Him for His mercy. We appeal for Your mercy, God. We need Your mercy, Lord. We need Your mercy over our schools. We need Your mercy over our families, Lord. We need Your mercy, God. You desire mercy more than sacrifice. Teach us mercy, God. Jesus, we need mercy, Lord. We're trying to do it in our own strength, and we're so exhausted. We're so depleted. But God, we need your mercy. Jesus, we need that mercy today, Father. Teach us, Lord. Teach Jesus. us how to be your royal priest, oh God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Teach us your ways, Lord. Thank you, Father. Show us the way. Show us the way of the heavens, Lord. Show us the way to the throne, Lord. Make us one with your spirit, Jesus. come to you, Lord, for a word. We don't come to you, God, with, with a, our request so that we can get something for you from you, Jesus. But we just come to you, Lord, because you're worthy. Because you are holy. And you deserve the praise, Jesus. We come to you, Jesus, because you're good. We just want to worship you, Jesus. We just want to honor you, Lord. We want to tabernacle with the living God because we can, Jesus. Because you made a way. You made a way. You made a way. You didn't have to make a way, but you made a way so that we could dwell with you, Jesus. So we want to partner ourselves, God. We want to take the Spirit in us and we want to partner with your Spirit, Jesus. I just feel this right now. I feel that the Lord's mercy is available. And we, we had a great altar call this morning, but I want to just call people forward right now and just to press in with the Lord, you and the Lord. And if you're in the place right now where that's you and you want to have that kind of prayer life and that, that life where it's just you're living in that mercy and you're in need of His mercy, we want to call you forward right now. Just come forward right now. If you say, I need some mercy. I need to experience that mercy of Jesus. I just feel like the Lord is going to meet you here this morning. He says the worship team is going to just sing with worship. And we're going to worship the Lamb. And what he showed me is that as you sit here and worship, and as you approach him with no motive, 
the mercy of heaven is going to become a reality. So whatever you're going through right now, we want to invite you to the seat of mercy. We want to invite you to the throne of mercy, man. I'm only here because of mercy. I'm only here because of his mercy. I should be dead right now. Or I should be in prison, but it's his mercy. His mercy that made me sober and clean and free. So we want to invite you. Let his mercy wash over you this morning. Take us up, worship team.